You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Grant Hartrick. Well, we're starting a new series today called Open House. Uh, I'm excited about that. We're going to be looking uh, at the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew's five, Matthew 5, 6, and a little bit of chapter 7. It's 106 verses, so I hope you came ready. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to cover all 106 today. We're really primarily just going to look at three of them. Uh, let me read it for you. You can follow along if you'd like. Matthew 5, uh, beginning in verse 13 down through verse 16, uh, will be familiar verses uh, for many of us. Jesus speaking says in his great manifesto in the greatest sermon ever preached, beginning in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. I love uh, those verses. Eugene Peterson, in his uh, paraphrase of these verses, says it this way at the very end, and you'll see the name of our text uh, of our series wrapped up in this. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house and be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father who is in heaven. So our hope is that we would live as Tate was talking about, and as Eugene translates these verses, and as Jesus is saying that we would shine our light before men, that they would look at our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven, that we would live such generous, open lives that the people around us would worship our Father who is in heaven because of our lives. Now, I I know many of us uh, have known these verses. If you've been in church maybe one time before in your life, you're probably familiar with you are the light of the world. Maybe it takes you back to vacation Bible school or to you trying to teach your little kid the first song they ever learned, which was, this little light of mine. Anybody? No? Okay, just me. Um, we, we know these verses. And so it can be intimidating, honestly, just as a preacher to come up here and preach verses that everybody knows. Because like, well, how am I going to say something? Everybody's already heard this before. But here's what the Lord kept putting on my heart as I was preparing for today. The great, the great temptation and the great tragedy of religion is to know the word of God and to not live it. To, to get to a text where maybe pridefully we say, we got that one. We're good. We know that one. We, we learned that one a long time ago. Let's move on to something in the deeper end of the pool. But to realize and understand, do I just know the words or am I actually living this out like on a Wednesday when I show up at my office? And my hope today is that we would approach these verses as though we've never read them before so that God can do something fresh in us that will hopefully transform not just our heart, but the way that we live throughout the week. So Jesus is speaking and he's telling us about why we're here. What's the purpose of our lives? What are we to be doing while we're here? And he gives us a few metaphors that are helpful. The first of which is, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, what does he mean by that? Salt gets a bad rap these days. 
All you hear about is the negative effects of salt. If you put too much salt on your food, somebody calls you salty, by the way. It's not a compliment in today's <laughs> world. It would have been in the ancient world, though, so I don't know what happened uh, through the, throughout time. But in, in, in the days where Jesus is writing this, salt was of extraordinary value. In fact, it was so valuable that it was viewed in a lot of ways as a currency. Roman soldiers oftentimes would be paid in salt. Could you, could you believe that? Just imagine your next direct deposit. It doesn't just go straight into your account, but your boss calls you into the office and he's just, <laughs> you worked overtime on Wednesday. Great. A little bit more. But this is real. This is the, the Roman soldiers would be paid in salt. It's referred to um, when they're paid for salt as a salarium, which means to, to barter or to sell with salt. It's actually where our word salarium is a Latin word, which is where our English word salary comes from. So, so there's extraordinary value, and it's clear in our day that the perceived value of salt maybe doesn't uh, hold as much weight as it did in the ancient world, but as Jesus is speaking, it's a big thing to be called the salt of the earth. Now, salt does a couple of things, and I don't know if there's anybody in here like me. I love salt. I've just recently gotten old enough where everybody's warning me about salt, but I don't care yet. I like salt on everything. I can remember when we first got married and my wife would make an amazing meal. And before I took a bite of it, I would just, you know, she's like, you didn't even try it yet. I'm like, I don't have to try it. I know that everything's better with salt on it. Amen. Uh, I can remember I used to do this weird thing, and my wife has uh, helped me now, uh, and this is called sanctification, but I, I remember when we would you know, go to a Mexican restaurant and we would get like uh, chips and salsa, I would, I would take a chip and I would salt each individual chip <laughs> right here. I'm with you. I didn't need the salsa. You can keep the salsa for all I'm concerned. I just want a chip with lots of salt on it. I like salt, and maybe you're with me, or maybe you're, you know, all health conscious, and more power to you if that's you. I'm still, you know, living good over here. <laughs> but one of the purposes of salt is that it brings out flavor in food. It, it improves food. It, it makes things taste better. That, that, that's why it is used as a seasoning. Chefs will say that when you put salt on it, it, it brings out all the flavors that are wrapped up in whatever it is that you're eating. And no doubt, while this wasn't the primary implication of salt in this day, it was used as seasoning in this day. And I love thinking about that, 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 that one of the purposes of salt is that when something without salt gets salt on it, it should be better. And we should live that way. Like the places that we go, the areas that we are, the relationships that we're in, the work environments that we're placed in, the opportunities that God puts in front of us as the salt of the earth, as seasoning, we should, as we get involved and be salt of the earth, we should improve the situations that we're in. They, they should be better because the people of God, the children of God are there. That as we interact and engage with the darkness, we're not meant merely to just indict them because they're in the dark. We're meant to improve, lift, and bless them so that hopefully they'll find the light. And that's part of what it means to be salt in the earth. Another usage uh, during this time especially was that salt was used for preservation. 
There was no refrigerators at the time, no sub-zeros in the ancient world. So you would have to use salt if you had meat or something like that and you wanted to preserve it. You would pack it down in salt and that would allow it to last longer. It would prevent the decaying process from taking place. It would be an agent of life. And so is to be true of us if we are the salt of the earth, that we are to be a preservative on planet earth, that we're to be agents of life and not death. That when the people of God are on the scene, there should be a pushing back of the darkness and a bringing forward of the light. We are to be flavor adders and improvers, and we are to be preservation in a dark and decaying world. And lastly, and there's many more, but salt causes thirst. Anybody ever done the thing where you eat the whole pack of saltine crackers and see if you cannot drink a bottle of water? No, I used to be the middle school pastor. So we do these kinds of things. You look, I got $3 to come up with a game today. Can I come up with anything? Let's eat that whole pack of saltine crackers and see if nobody can drink water. But when you eat a lot of salt, it it makes you thirsty. And, 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 And that should be true of us. If we're living, if we're the salt of the earth and we're living in a earth where lots of people have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that by being exposed to our life, it should cause a thirst in them. A thirst for what? Well, Matthew says it a few verses before. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. So the people that are around us ought to have a thirst for whatever it is that most satisfied us. So I want you to ask the question, When you leave a conversation, are you lifting it? Are you improving it? People feel more joy from being around you, more peace from being around you, or are you stirring the pot? Are you you making things worse? Are you causing more stress and more anxiety? And as the salt of the earth, we should be improvers and lifters and preservers and conduits for God to work through us. And then Jesus says, Uh, After he says, we are the salt of the earth, he says, if salt has lost its taste, its saltiness, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, only to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. That's a bit of a scary verse, huh? And commentators and very smart people have argued for a long time on what Jesus meant by that. Here's what I realized. Both of the arguments, I think, are great arguments, and both of them are helpful. So some people say, well, you know, that's a problem because uh, salt is an extremely stable compound. So salt can't really lose its saltiness, sodium chloride, because it's a stable compound. So salt is salt. It can't not be salt because it's salt. And some people will say, well, in this particular part of the world, around the Dead Sea, there is salt that's mixed with other minerals, and those other minerals mix in with the salt, and it renders the salt useless. And, and maybe, that is a, maybe that's, that, that's what Jesus meant here. So, so why would we want to live as unsalty salt? Or maybe another idea is that Jesus, as he says a few verses later when he talks about light, he says a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. It's impossible for light to not be light. And maybe he's saying, well, salt is salt. Salt is salty. So how illogical would it be and how impossible would it be for salt to not be salt? If I made you salt, then go out and be salt. And both of them, I think, challenge us to go out and to live out what Jesus has called us to do. The second metaphor, which maybe we're more familiar with, is that Jesus says, you are the light of the world. 
Now, I know you've heard that, but that's a really big statement for a couple of reasons. Let's trace the history of light just briefly through the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. That's a pretty boss verse, if you ask me. Like, you're in darkness, and you just go, light. <clears throat> light everywhere. That really happened, by the way. Hope you're still blown away by the Bible. God said, Let there be light, and there was light. That is crazy. James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, uh, For every, gift, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from who? The Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So you see this idea. God created light. God is light. Jesus claims in John's gospel to be the light of the world two times. John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, And again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then again in John chapter 9, verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So you have Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world. What, what an incredible compliment and responsibility that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew's gospel, he says, you are the light of the world which is plural in my Greek professors from seminary. So the way we would translate that was, y'all are the light of the world. That's a pretty crazy thing. But our light is reflected light. So in the same way that the moon doesn't have a source of light in and of itself, many of you know this, it just reflects light off the sun, so is true of us. In and of ourselves, we, we do not have light. We cannot produce light, but Jesus lives inside of us, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Now the source of light is Jesus, but Jesus lives in me, therefore I am the light of the world. So let's look at how we get that light. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God gave. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Love these verses. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. One more. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness. I love that. Didn't just say you were in darkness. He said you were darkness. But now you are the light in the world. Walk as children of light. So Jesus not only pulled us into the light, Jesus actually made us light in the world. So there's three things here in these verses after Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. One, he says, you are light. Two, he says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It's impossible for light to not illuminate. That's what light does. And then three, he said, why in the world would you light a light and then put it under a lamp? That's totally illogical. 
Now, it's important to think in, in a house in, in, in these days, in the ancient world, um, there was no artificial lights. There was no like, turn all this on. So they had little oil lamps with a, a little flame over here, a little wick you could light, and then it would run down this thing, only about the size of a hand, and then have a little jar of oil here. And as you lit this little light, you, you, would, you wouldn't put it, you certainly wouldn't put it under a basket. That makes no sense. But you would actually want to elevate it because the more you elevated it, the more it gave light to everybody in the house. And this is, this is what Jesus is saying. One, it's impossible for light to not be light. Light shines. That's what light does. But two, it's totally illogical to have a light and then to try to hide the light. Now, in the same way that I um, like salt, and, and my wife has helped me in that regard. This really has nothing to do with the message. This is more counseling for me. But we renovated a house recently, and um, we, we put in these can lights. Anybody got can lights in your house, the ones that are up in the ceiling? And I thought that when we put those in, that the purpose of us putting them in was so that we could turn them on and light up the house. Little did I know, there really wasn't any purpose of putting them in because we were going to buy $800 worth of lamps to put in the house, regardless of how many can lights we put in the house. Any of you men with me? It's the same idea of, let's get these awesome hardwood floors. I'm like, cool, we were going to go carpet or hardwood floors. So we're going to get the hardwood floors, but then we're going to get rugs to cover all the hardwood floors. We just did both. Anyways, I digress. We are light. City on a hill cannot be hidden. And you would never, lamp and, you would never light a lamp and, and put it under a basket in the home. Now, I do think it's interesting that, see the change in the environment. Jesus says first, you're the light of the world. So you got this big macro, you are the light of the world. Then he talks about you're a city set on a hill. Still pretty big, but not as big as the world. Then he goes down and says, you would never light a lamp and put it under a basket. You'd put it up on a lampstand so everybody in the home, everybody in the house could see. So you go from house to city to world. And I love that because here's the idea. Wherever you are, you ought to shine. If you're doing something that's out into the world, you should shine so that people will see you and give glory to your fathers in heaven. But if you're, if you're doing a business deal in the city, you should shine in that business deal in the city so that people can see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. But what a tragedy it would be for you to be a man of God and a man of prayer in the city and then for you to be at home and everybody's like, we heard that you're this amazing man of God out in the city, but, but in our home, there, really, there, isn't, there isn't much light here. Jesus is going, no, whatever environment you find yourself in, you are made to be light. So in your marriage, be light. In your relationship with your kids, be light. In your career, be light. With your employees, be light. With your employer, be light. With your neighbor, be light. With everybody you touch, be light. This is the idea that God is putting in front of us. Now, it is, it's just an interesting thing that the word light in the original language is the word phos, which is where we get our word in English, photo. So I think that's kind of cool because um, like for me, I look exactly like my dad. It's a little bit scary, honestly. Let me show you a picture. This is uh, not me on the left, that's my dad, uh, Tom. Doesn't he look awesome, by the way? You're like, man, that's like, that guy could take somebody out. Uh, and then this is us recently. My dad is 70 years old. My wife is very happy about this. <laughs> but it's interesting because when I, when I meet people that like know my dad and they don't really know me, every time, regardless of if I know them or not, they always say, oh my goodness, you look exactly like Tom. Or if I see a photo of my dad when he was younger, I'm like, hello, Grant. You know, like, <laughs> it's you. But, but the idea is that like, 
I look like my dad. And, and I'm, his rep, I'm, I'm, I'm his representation. The way that Paul actually says it in 2 Corinthians is we're his ambassadors. We're his representatives. We're to look like him so that when people look at our lives, it's like a photo and a snapshot of you see me, but you see through me up to my father in heaven and you want to glorify him. So when people look at you, are they seeing a picture of what God is actually like? Are you living in a way where people look at your life and go, man, I, I, I see through your life all the way up to your father who's in heaven, and I want to give glory to him. So how do we do this, I think, is an important question. And whenever you're reading the Bible, it's important to understand that context is always key. So these amazing, smart people took our Bible, the original Bible, and they broke it up into sections with headers and verses to help us navigate because oftentimes we don't have time to read, you know, all of Leviticus in our morning quiet time. So we need to, like, take a chunk uh, at a time which is very helpful. The danger of that is that we can think that certain ideas are isolated from other ideas. Like, oh, Jesus is talking about being salt and light. That's an idea, separate from the one before and separate from the one after. But this is like one sermon of Jesus. So it's important that you look back before, and before this is what we call the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Jesus is talking about what is it like, who is what is it like for people who are part of the kingdom of God? What are the character traits that are true of the men and women who belong to the kingdom of God? It's things like blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. So we get all the way to verse 12, verse 11 and verse 12, and then we read these and we kind of go, uh-oh, I was on board for pure in heart and peacemakers and merciful and hunger for, and thirst for righteousness. But then it says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Verse 12, blessed are you when others revile you. I don't think anybody feels blessed when that happens. And persecute you under all kinds of evil against you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. Now, when you read it that way, you have some context, right? And you realize that, that what Jesus is connecting this idea to is there, that there's going to be persecution. There's going to be hardship. But when there's hardship, we're tempted to do two things. You, you can either retreat, no, I don't want that, or you can engage. And right after Jesus says, there's going to be hardship. There's always been hardship. They mistreated the prophets. They're going to mistreat you. He goes, don't retreat. You're the salt of the earth and your light to be shown in the darkness. Engage with the darkness with the answer that supersedes and has conquered the darkness. This is the context that we find around this verse. We are to be different in the world. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. It's a good rhetorical question. When's the last time someone asked you that question? When's the last time someone said, oh, I see all the circumstance that's around you. I know what's going on in your marriage. I know what's going on at work. I know what's going on with your kids. I know what's going on. Is, but what, why, why are you still so hopeful? And why do you still have so much joy? And how are you going through all this chaos in your life? But somehow you still keep blessing people and keep speaking life and not death over people. And somehow you just keep showing up and you're full of all this joy. And you go, yeah, I, I, I am different. I'm salt. I, I'm, I'm light of the world. I have a source of light inside me. And when you can stand in life's most difficult moments and still have joy and hope and 
peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, it illuminates the world. And this is what we're meant to do as the people of God. Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount and he gives a few simple, practical ways, takeaways of what it looks like to be salt and light in the world. I want to give you just a few of them. If you are taking notes, uh, maybe these, these would be helpful things to write down. Number one, we seek, to, in order to be agents of salt in the earth and light in the world, we must do a few things. Number one, we seek reconciliation, not retaliation. You see it in the Sermon on the Mount, not, not too far after Jesus tells us that you're the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. He, he, he even goes on to say things like this. If, if, if you bring an offering, a gift to the altar, and then you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first make things right with your brother and then come back and offer your gift. That the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians, he says that you have been reconciled to God through Christ. Now you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That, that we shouldn't be like everybody else in the world where when someone takes something from us, we're ready to retaliate, we're ready to jump back, we're ready to fight back, but instead we should be people who when somebody comes up against us, we don't want to retaliate, we want to reconcile. We, we want things to be done God's way. We should be quick to forgive. Why? Because we were forgiven. Because we earned forgiveness? Because we deserve forgiveness? No. Because as we were forgiven freely, we forgive freely. Jesus says, the world lives by the motto, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but not so among my followers. He even takes it a step further and he tells us, which is a crazy thought, he says, you should love your enemies and pray for them. How are we doing on that one? Now we live in a world that says when you have an enemy, here's what you do. Post about your enemy and see how much traction you can get in opposition to your enemy to see if you can officially and permanently take them under. Jesus goes, no, 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 I don't want you to do that. I just want you to pray for them. And, and when you pray for your enemies, even if it's just you in your closet by yourself, you don't have to like stand up on the desk and be like, Susan, a couple doors down, has been my enemy for three years, but Susan, I'm just praying for you today that God's gonna touch your life. You don't have to do that. You can just pray quietly. And when you do that, man, light just radiates off of your life and it illuminates a path for people. So we're, we're, we're meant to be those people. Now, I know when we say enemies, some of y'all are like, I, 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 don't, I, I don't think I have any enemies. That's a strong word. Some of you are like, I very much, Joe, two doors down from us, been our neighbor for 20 years, we are enemies. Great. But for some of you, you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know anybody. Like, that seems like a strong word. Well, I love how Eugene Peterson uh, puts this in the message. He says, when someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect to get a bonus for that? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect to get a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. Thank you, Eugene. Stings a little bit. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives towards you. We extend forgiveness because we have received forgiveness. Now for somebody in this room, what, what you need to do most, if you want your light to shine brightest, you, you don't need to come to five more worship gatherings. 
You don't need to go to a mid-worship concert, you know, midweek this week. You don't have to spend, you know, X amount of time in your Bible study this week. All those things are great. But for some of you, the way that your light will radiate even more than it is right now is you need to call your sister and forgive her. Is this gone on for too long? You just need to call her and say, hey, it's a lot of water under the bridge. A lot of things have been said. A lot of things have been done. But uh, I want to ask for your forgiveness for what I said. And I'm just asking, I just want you to know that what you said hurt me and I want to forgive you. And I'm telling you, you want to see something shine bright? Forgive somebody and watch the light radiate off of your life. Some of you, some went sideways with a business partner a couple years ago and you just wrote them off like, man, I'm never going to talk to you again, never going to see you again. You want to see light in your own life? Call them and forgive them. And I'm telling you, it will just radiate off of your life. Number two, we are to resist the pull towards greed by embracing a spirit of generosity. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to give to the needy, and he says it actually in a way that's interesting given the text that we're saying, shine your light before men so they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father. And then in Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking about giving to the needy, he says, be careful that you don't give in such a way where you're drawing attention to yourself. It's kind of like, "Ah, how how do you put those two verses together? Well, easy. One of them lifts you up and says, look how great I am. And one of them says, look through me to my Father and see how great he is. And you know whether you're doing that or not by your motive. But, but we're to give to the needy. It says that we aren't to lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but instead we're to lay up treasures in heaven. In a world that is obsessed with stuff, our lives will shine bright when we live in such a way where our lives declare, I got everything I need. I got Jesus and I'm good. I, I, I have everything that I need. Now, withholding from things is good. Here's what I mean by that. If you're living in a world where you're trying to keep up with the Joneses and I got to get the new car and I got to get the new boat and I got to get the lake, you know, the right lake house and I got, none of those things are intrinsically bad. So it's bad Bible reading when you read the text and go, the love of the, you, it, you read it and go, money is evil. It's not what the scripture says. The love of money is evil. You can't serve two masters. So if you're thinking that you're getting the next thing to keep up with the Joneses is going to finally satisfy that thing in you, I'm telling you, you're wasting your time. But when you actually understand, I've got everything I need in Christ, all of a sudden the light just radiates off of your life. And what I found to be true just in my own life is it's one thing to go, you know what, I'm not going to get that thing because I, I want to... I want to live in such a way where I'm broadcasting to myself and to those around me that I have everything I need in Jesus. So I'm not going to get that thing. But then every conversation for the next six months is, man, I really wish I had that thing. I'm not going to get that thing because I want Jesus to get glory. But I really wish I had that thing. That thing would be awesome. If I had that thing, man, I'm telling you, it would be so great. Now, your light still shines from not getting that thing. But it shine even brighter if the reality was you didn't even desire that thing anymore because you had all your desires met in Jesus Christ to be supremely satisfied in Christ. That's how our light shines bright. I love the way John Piper has famously said this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Number three, we submit to the authority of Christ rather than rebel against it. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus ends his manifesto, the Sermon on the Mount by saying this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them 
will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And everyone who hears them, get that, they still heard the same words. They were still familiar with the same words. And doesn't do them is a foolish man who builds his house on sand. sand. So the goal is not just that we would be familiar with the word, but that we would obey it. When, when, when you give the word authority over your life and you start doing things differently because of what the word of God says, and the word of God isn't just something that's there to support everything that you want, but it's the, it's the authority over you, that, gives, that, that translates as incredible credibility to a world. And they go, man, that's light. They, they really believe what they're saying. The goal is not just that we would read it, but that we would live it, that we would shine. Why would we live like this? In closing, simply this. Jesus commands, it's in the imperative. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's possible that the way you live your life could cause someone who's currently stuck in darkness to give glory to God the Father. That's possible for you. You're like, oh, no, 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 not, not me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just raising two kids at home and I'm in the carpool line for like six hours a day. There's nothing I could do to possibly. No, I'm telling you that God said you're the salt of the earth and he said that you're the light of the world right where you are. You start living this out and watch the world around you be illuminated by your life. I do love that Jesus says, shine your light before men. And he doesn't say, shine your light at them. My, we've got uh, two little girls and another little girl on the way in 10 days, so y'all pray for me. Um, mostly, my wife is uh, having her in 10 days, so pray for her. Um, but our girls got flashlights, like for Christmas or something. I don't know why, and it must have been like a Costco deal because there was 27 flashlights, so we just have these little tiny flashlights all over. And when we first got the flashlights, uh, our youngest, she would love playing with it. 80% of the time, it was her microphone. 20% of the time, it was an actual flashlight. And we would tell her the same thing all the time. We would say, what, what would you say to a kid that has a flashlight? Don't shine it in their eyes doesn't feel good. Stop pointing the light in your sister's eyes, please. And I love that Jesus says, let your light so shine among men, before men. There's this idea of shine it around them. Illuminate the path. Hey, this way, there's a way out of the darkness and there's a way into the light. You don't have to be like putting it in their eyeballs. You can just light the path for them and say, there's another way to live. There's another way here. There's the way of Jesus here. Just follow my life and let my good works illuminate a path for you. And you ultimately will see and want to worship my father who is in heaven. So we live and we shine our reflected light so that the world will see us and see through us to our Father who's in heaven. As we close, I'm going to pray. I want to read one more text to you. And um, I want to just make one thing clear. Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount is speaking to people who are already following him. So the message isn't today, if you need to get right with God, be saltier. And the message today isn't, if you need to get right with God, shine brighter. There's no way to get right with God by shining bright because there's no way you can create light because the scripture says you are darkness. So the people, the disciples that Jesus is talking to have already experienced that. The way you get right with God is through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
And you see it so clearly in another very popular verse. Let me just read these over us. We'll pray and then we'll wrap up. John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Somebody maybe just needs to hear that. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Listen to this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.